this art form done to help bridge the gap, if any, um, between the the classical goer and the film goer? And what's that middle ground? Right. Well, I'm, I'm not so sure I know the exact, uh, I think our marketing department probably does have the, the crossover mm-hmm. um, statistics. Um, and I think that uh, I'm sure there are people who, who go to both and they enjoy both, et cetera. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned before I started the jazz series and it's obviously a different genre and completely different situation. But I think when we started the jazz series, I remember having a feeling that one, if we were to be able to get, bring an audience to hear jazz in, it was called orchestra hall at the time, um, that maybe that audience would be comfortable coming to uh, an orchestra concert. And I subsequently, I'm sure there are people who do that. And we, we have found that the, the, the numbers go both ways, but I'm actually not so sure it's the right, um, the right premise to have in the first place, because um, while it's wonderful that there are people who really um, do enjoy both, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily, um, I don't know if it's necessarily the goal that we should have. Right. Um, and the, and I would say that especially people, I'm going to have to say this, which hurts me, but my generation, I may be a little bit earlier <laughs> or older, um, probably liked what they liked and continued to like what they liked. Sure. I think the younger generation, and this is just from my, my children, I, Maybe they're 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 not like other kids, but I think the in the sense the iTunes generation or the the iPod uh, shuffle yeah. generation, you yeah. want to call it that. I think that people have been a little bit more open to different genres, and maybe that's you know, maybe that's something that that will change. Mm-hmm. But um, so that I mean, my thought on that is that yes, I, did we start the film series with a. Um, uh, mind to bring a new audience to uh, hear the Chicago Symphony Orchestra? Yes, definitely. Did we did we succeed in that? Yes. Um, is another level of success that we measure that is is uh, the second level of success being that they would come to CSO concerts, uh, CSO classical concerts? I that might be a a a, a good. Uh, measure to take. I'm not so sure it's the most important one because right. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think you want people to come um, because they want to hear what's, what's on, on, on being performed. And, and, um, and I, you know, I'm glad that there, there are people are coming to, we need, we need people to come to our classical concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think if people are more comfortable uh, coming to, you know, the experience and seeing how we, we it, it, the formality that we have in place, et cetera, at times that, you know, can be a little bit off-putting to people um, through a film concert 
you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, uh, I I would think that we the our network. Sorry, I know that our marketing department also really is encouraged by whenever they get new patrons to come, because they they will then reach out to them and ask them to come back and yeah. and and suggest things that they might be interested in. And and I think that that is a successful way to, to market. And I think it, it makes sense for, for an institution to do that. So. Yeah. Well, I think in the case of your organization, you know, whatever it takes uh, to get someone who's never heard your orchestra play into that hall to hear them play, because um, you guys sell yourself very well the moment that music starts. And the, the sound is, is so world famous. And for somebody who doesn't know that world fame, the reason why it has the, the, the rich tradition that it, it has still to this day. Um, I, I've, I've spoken to so many people over the years out there that have never heard you guys play, and then they hear you, and they just they can't believe they never heard you guys before. You know, it's like, mm. what is wrong with me? Why haven't I been at this hall? Um, to sum it up. But, you know, it's uh, to go just quickly back to the, the, the physicality of this all, um, it's an interesting thing because you know, your organization is at the very cream of the crop in the world. And to still have to deal with that as a very real variable in these types of shows, um, it says something because the, the, the brass section, you know, you brought up, uh, they're the renowned CSO brass. And regardless of what players have kind of come in and out over the decades, um, they all have incredible chops. And whether or not the trumpet players are, you know, playing on their big giant B flats or their C's or their E flats or, you know, you've got the F tuba or the C tuba, regardless, you know, these guys collectively know that they have another 250 some odd days a year they have to play. And there's a psychology behind that, too. You know, I mean, brass players, you put another beer and then they generally can keep going. But there's that psychology of knowing you have what you have coming the next day. It's a job. It's a real job. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just, we're all in college sleeping under the piano in the practice room. Let's go play as long as we can before we start bleeding. Or in the case of, you know, very famous, you know, Al Hurt, Bobby Shue splitting their lips. Right. Um, right. But that's an interesting thing to just kind of dial in on because, um, it's a very, very real scenario that players are constantly having to think of. And, and because as you've pointed out very astutely, these were never intended to be performed back to back to back to back to back to back to back there's that added level of question mark. And I mean, I remember years ago um, in Australia uh, with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, um, this is a long time ago, this is before even Cineconcerts was, uh, about a year before we even founded the company, um, on one of the Lord of the Rings. Audience loved it, the orchestra thought it was super successful. But by the time we got to Return of the King, the orchestras were trading eights um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the string section. You know, their, their stand partners were trading eight bars. Um, because they, they couldn't hang on to the goose eggs as, as they were. But still, after three hours of unbelievably difficult playing, they had to think to the next day or to the next week or to the next chiropractor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's interesting. Well, I would say while there are more and more scores that have, you know, like almost constant playing, there are a lot of scores, film scores, I would say, that also have moments of, you know, mm -hmm. at times there's moments of rest for everyone. I mean, it's just, you know, so it, there, there are, it's, that's another balance question. Yeah. Um, the Godfather uh, is, a, is an interesting one, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, I think some of the 
films that we really truly you know want to see with an orchestra oftentimes they are films that have constant music going with you know and i think that's it it can be challenging so yeah. um again we'll, we'll we we are always looking at that um that balance uh but i i wanted to go back to what you said about um the physicality of being in that hall and hearing that orchestra and i think is a part of what is really, really different about going to see these films in a theater with even with, you know, the amazing sound systems that a lot of theaters have these days, et cetera. Um, hearing, hearing that orchestra play live in that hall is very special. And I, um, I have a nephew who was a freshman at uh, Loyola University here and was taking the, the typical um, music appreciation class where he had to go to concerts and uh, yeah. write about them. And he reached out to me and asked if I could help him get some tickets. And he went um, and he texted me the next morning and the opening work on the program was Finlandia, Sibelius. Yeah. And he texted me the next morning that he had never been to hear the orchestra before. Yeah. And he said, I cannot tell you how amazing I felt in those first first few bars of, of hearing that orchestra live. And, and, you know, that's, that's the, it's, that's the thing that keeps me going and keeps me, uh, you know, in, in a sense, uh, going back every year and has kept me right there for these 30 plus 35 plus years, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it was, it was wonderful to hear that from, uh, you know, someone who hadn't heard the orchestra before. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, people hear, uh, the orchestra when they're in uh, maybe an educational setting or they go with it with a, a school group etc and there's something different about that versus you know making the choice to go as an you know maybe as an adult and kind of really um, uh, hearing the the orchestra for what it's worth without any kind of as it were bells and whistles or or any, you know, even narration that you might hear at, at sure. a youth concert or whatever. So um, that was uh, that was was great to hear for me because sometimes we forget that. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. you know, being going to so many concerts and hearing the orchestra as, as often as I am able, which is a yeah. real, uh, you know, blessing and an honor um, to hear someone, you know, have that same experience the first time that they've heard heard that orchestra is is, yeah. um, is really uh, a wonderful thing. It's nice to be reminded of, I can imagine. I mean, it's like anything when, when, when you're in it, when you're in the thick of it, and in your case, along with your colleagues, um, you're in the thick of it daily, and, and it's not easy to keep an orchestra of this caliber and this fame um, working uh, at the, and, and, and maintain that, that high level that you do from day to day. And, you know, when you're in the trenches, it, it, you sometimes forget just how impactful perhaps the, the final end product is and, and and that end product does not just stop after the last note at the end of the concert it continues as people are leaving the hall it continues as people are sharing on social now in the 21st century it continues as your players as i've heard many times after uh, working with your organization they go right down and they're practicing after mm -hmm. they play a three-hour concert and and a, a lot of that stuff if not most of it goes unnoticed to the public and i think it's worth sharing is certainly with our listeners uh, because there's an incredible amount of work that goes in to closing that day out and then starting it again the very next morning and 
and having those patrons feel like it's the first time they've ever heard you play, even though it's not. Um, yeah. You know, and that that's one of the great things about music making is that you can play the same symphonic piece over and over every day and it's never, ever going to be the same. And that's 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 a beautiful thing that we're gifted with in music. Um, well, I think you said before about um, I, I know full well that our orchestra works very, very hard. And 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 we're I've been told by a number of conductors that I've worked with over the years that they are amazed at the level of speed uh, that they can they can put together a performance and 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 you know because I I've said we we sat there with one overtime rehearsal and one concert with with a wide variety of scores over the years and yeah. they're just very very quick but they work really hard they work you know um, as it, you know two or three different programs a week um, yeah. the number of rehearsals etc. Uh, and and then you know you put a scores like some of these John Williams scores in front of them and their challenges in that regard as well. So um, it's it's uh, it's a really an amazing thing to be able to see and, and to yeah. hear. Remember the um, the last one that I was out there with you on uh, on Potter. It was so funny. Um, you know Robert Chen is of course one of the great players in, in our in our genre and globally. I, I might add and. I knew that he had looked at some things that he was just kind of playing, playing a little joke and he picks up the book and he comes out before the rehearsal starts and he just flips through it really quick, like a flip book. And he says, yep, that's more notes than the last one. Uh, here we go. Like, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, the amount of personality that, that, um, any orchestra has, but certainly unique to the CSO, um, how well they gel together. And I can certainly agree to that a million percent, you know, how hard they work and how incredibly fast they put things together. And particularly in this genre where the tempo changes are, in some cases, they're insane. And, you know, it makes sense a lot of times in the studio, but it doesn't make sense as much in the context of just the purest musical environment on the stage. Of course, it mm -hmm. makes sense in the context of the film and, and your musicians get that. Um, but to see how quickly, um, you know, the back desk firsts can figure out what's going on over here in the tuba, which is one of the furthest point A to point B straight lines there are on the stage. Um, that's not easy to do. It really isn't. And particularly in that hall, you know, where it's it's there's there's the famous stories of, um, you know, the, the horn sections. What did you just say, maestro? Um, you know, or I can't hear you. You know, it's a, you're playing double F. Um there's, and they've, they've made some of those jokes even in rehearsal, but the acoustical space in your hall, you're out in the in the audience, is so incredible. And let's just talk about that for a second, the acoustics of these types of projects. All of a sudden we had dialogue and effects. And um, what's that acceptable balance between what the orchestra expects? Because, look, it's their hall. Um, they expect to hear a certain amount of whatever coming across the stage or next to them or above them bouncing, which might go away with some of the dialogue and effects. The patrons expect a certain X, Y, Z. The sound engineers working to achieve whatever that middle ground is. Um, what are some of the things that you look can look back in your own hall and reflect on what some of the acoustical challenges have been or benefits or however you might want to phrase it? Well, I think there's been a couple things that have happened. I mean, we... We were, um, 
we did a very, very early version of Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously Casablanca was, it is a tremendous score, but it was all underscored and it was all brought back in the studio, et cetera. And the first showing of that film did not include um, subtitles. Subtitles, yeah. And so the the dialogue was being missed. And in a, in a film like that, the dialogue is extremely important, maybe more important than the music. But um, it was a challenge. It was a disaster, actually. It was we we worked very hard to uh, adjust as best as we possibly could for the second half of that of that program. But so there's th that was a challenge that that I was thinking about when you mentioned effects and dialogue because yeah. I think some of the really really well crafted projects in this genre are those that have taken those tracks and the, the levels into consideration uh, when putting together the version for for a, a performance with live orchestra because you know I, I don't think the composer uh, in the in the end uh, gets as, as high a, a, um, a level of importance from from the director or, or the, the the sound engineer in the end in some of these films I mean, that's a broad generalization, but uh, there's, um, there's some truth to the broadness, <laughs> right? But but the yeah. fact is that our orchestra in that hall um, can basically, for the most part, play over the effects track and the dialogues rather easily. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting they're playing anything other than at the you know the the dynamic level that's in the music, but. But if the dynamic level is is double or triple forte, then they're going to play triple forte in that hall, and um, it is a, uh, a somewhat compact space uh, yeah. with really only about ninety feet to the back wall on the main floor, and it might be six stories, you know, uh, high in terms of the space, but. Uh, it, it has a sonic impact that uh, is is an important part of that orchestra's, um, you know, overall sound and legacy, yeah. et cetera. So yeah. um, th th that balance, I think, is something that we've seen, you know, I would say good things and bad. I mean, I bring up the um, Casablanca one because it's one that I remember was, was a, you know, a challenge. Um, that we had, you know, we were just about to do it again, um, and the super titles are now in place, so that that issue won't be um, a problem anymore. But uh, um, I'm not so sure that um, there are other films that have caused us problems like that. But I think um, I, I'm always um, uh, happy, or um, uh, it's it's a it's a good thing when. Uh, the directors or producers of these projects take that into account uh, um, to if they need to bring the effects track, which is often usually the thing that's, I would say, probably um, the most uh, challenging in these mm. these situations. But, yeah, they are. I mean, I can tell you in our case, we, we put both of those tracks, the dialogue and effects, through a lot of, um, we won't call it washing, but it's similar to that, you know, where we really have to kind of clean it up in a different way. I mean, you'd be surprised to probably hear some of these original tracks that were left in the master, 
Um, we're constantly blown away by what were they doing in that moment that allowed them to leave in, you know, it, 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 the equivalent might be, you know, a, just a giant, a giant flub in a trumpet at the top of Shostakovich Fifth Symphony, the fourth movement, at a high D, you know, leaving it in the recording. And in that, in that case, I mean, it's not a one-to-one comparison because a lot of times those are left in because the passion is so great. The performance is so unbelievable that you deal with it. And maybe there's a little bit of that, too, in the post-production process for movies. Um, but I suspect that some of it's also laziness. And mm. so we hear these things, and it's just like we're all looking at each other, you know, in front of the board, like, how is this possible? How are we going to solve it? So there is that, you know, that there's a lot of time and care and effort that's put into that. And um, and it's worth it, because if you can spend even even if it's as much as a couple of weeks in the studio working on something like that, it saves you an enormous amount of, of not only work, but just um, having to play the, you know, that's a fair thing to say, um, the politics of solving that issue in the hall, because there's, there is that everywhere we go, our, our primary goal is to be as respectful as we can of those traditions in the hall. And um, along with that, though, comes a certain sense of practicality that needs to kind of blend into that so that we can all achieve the best product. And so a lot of times having those tracks in the way that I hope that they are for what we do, it, it allows people to just very quickly do their jobs, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having a discussion about, you know, what it was the prior week or what you need it to be or what's not happening or what we'd like to see. Because ultimately, you know, even when you have the, the, um, the blessing of two rehearsals, it's still a lot in the case of a John Williams score, for example, particularly on Potter. You know, even with your organization, my gosh, you know, the players are looking around at each other. Do we have any more time? I mean, they're, they're ready. They're ready to go. Mm-hmm. But at the end of two rehearsals, you know, there's always something else. And that's, you know, the mark of a great orchestra. What else can we refine? Um, but anyway, so that's the acoustical stuff. You know, it, it's, it's an interesting um, part of this, again, that a lot of people don't know goes into these. Um, what are some of your, um, your favorite moments that you've kind of taken out of this genre in the last number of years um, with Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Hmm. And they don't need to be Cine Concerts moments. They can be <laughs> any, anything moments, anything moments. One of my memories that, that come to mind when thinking about favorites is uh, uh, the orchestra's performance of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. You know, the film um, is such a mishmash um, of as I would, I mean, Kubrick just dropping the needle, um, and and that's how you had to face it. Um, yeah. But I, I actually have to say I remember distinctly, um, the orchestra sounding so amazing during the credits uh, with the 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 Strauss waltz, yeah. and it was just, it was one of those moments where. Um, First of all, those pieces aren't easy. They're not easy to do on one rehearsal. And the orchestra sounded really incredibly beautiful playing that music after here, you know, seeing that film and, 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 and all the other music in that film as well. But that's just one that comes to mind. Um, and, um, I would say going all the way back to city lights and, and, and the, the power of that score and the power of that film, um, is, is another, another, uh, favorite memory of mine. Um, 
not knowing very well, or not knowing really at all, I should say, uh, that that Chaplin wrote that music the first time I heard it, and and um, we were just talking about it. We're I'm what about a mile, mile and a half away from SNA Studios here, and mm. uh, the the building is still there, and yeah. it's uh, yeah. you know. Uh, where he kind of got a start until I think he decided that it was too damn cold in Chicago and, <laughs> and left for Hollywood. But yeah. uh, um, that was another favorite moment, you know, and it would, we haven't gone back to a Chaplin film now in um, a number of years we did uh, city lights and modern times and um, some shorts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, th- we might have to go back to that now. We'll see. So, it's, yeah, it's now all of a sudden programming is through the lens of a very, very different context, right? Uh, globally, right. Um, and you know, here we are in in gosh, already May of of twenty twenty, and I know that at some point we will all look back on this period and just brush it off our shoulder to some degree. You know, I mean, I, I don't say that to to take the situation lightly, but it's like anything else we'll have to get through it and we'll push through it and we'll look back on it collectively as a society, both globally through our continents, through our countries, our states, our cities. And, and I think it'll be fine. Um, but it's, it's interesting though. We're, we're being forced, all of us are being forced to think of our collective musicianship, um, in a different way, which reminds me, I was going to bring this up earlier. Um, when you were talking a bit about the challenge of, of introducing, uh, the genre of film music into the very kind of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, perhaps purist concertscape with an orchestra. Um, I've had this conversation many, many times over the years with colleagues, uh, many of whom I'm, I'm uh, I will say unequivocally are some of the best players in the world. And so I respect them. I listen to them. I'm constantly asking them for feedback and um, conversing with them. And the conversation oftentimes goes, you know, it's like, well, you know, we studied X, Y, Z and we, we came up the way we came up to do this kind of a thing. And so it's just kind of a bit of a jolt. And then a lot of times we'll also talk about what I think is really one of the elephants in the room. And that is that regardless of whether or not um, piano number one, pianist number one over here has 10,000 more practice hours over the life of their first 30 years and pianist number two over here, um, regardless of what they may have played at the end of the day, purist, unpurist, can read music, can't read music, street musician in New Orleans, one of whom I can say I, one of the best I've ever heard in my life, a clarinetist, in New, it doesn't read music, mm-hmm. um, and those that can sight read uh, half asleep. Um, at the end of the day, ultimately, we are entertainers. And if we don't have that patronage in hall, then we exist in a bit of a vacuum, and nobody wants that. So I, I think that it's interesting to see the industry globally kind of I don't want to say reshape itself, but it's evolving like like it always has for you know hundreds of years um, to embrace what we feel we need to embrace individualistically or collectively as an organization in order to connect with our patrons, and that's a really big topic, I think. Yeah, I think that um, there has to be ways to think about the presentation of symphonic concerts um, differently. And and I don't know if we've necessarily found the answer right. in film music. I think right. it's a, it's one part of an answer, yep. um, but I think that the I think the genre in overall needs to keep evolving. 
And some of that is really difficult to figure out how uh, we're going to be able to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, um, well, what do you think needs to happen? I'm kind of curious, you know, in your position, what, what are some of the things like right in front of your nose that you would love to see happen or think may happen? I think I mentioned this before. I, I talked about the formality of the, of the concert going experience. And um, if I, you know, I, in fact, I, I mentioned before about my, my nephew coming to a concert. I'd love to talk to him about what, what he experienced if he understood all of what was going on, you know, the mm -hmm. concert master walking out, the tuning, the, 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 you know, I'm sure we've been talking about changing concert dress, you know, yeah. standards or, or practices for years and years and years. And I'm not so sure anyone's ever done anything about it. Um, so I think we, we already started to make earlier concert times. I think we're probably going to start shorter concerts and have different uh, kind of um, opportunities or different, you know, times of day. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's going to have to change and evolve. And it has evolved over the years. I think, um, well, this was before my time, but I understand that the concerts up at Ravinia in the summer used to start at 8.30 at night. And that allowed, you know, most of the businessmen to come home on right. the train and yeah. probably go have dinner and then come to the concert. And and um, and I suppose they, they still had it. I mean, concerts were longer back then. So, you know, it was still a <laughs> yeah. late night for them. But yeah. um, we're... we're trying to figure out ways to, to, to either uh, do concerts at different times or different, um, uh, different lengths of concerts. And we've been successful with some of that over the years and some of it we've been less so, but uh, yeah. I think that it has to evolve. And I think that there's, there has to be different, different and ways to think about it. And then, and that openness to that change, um, I, I would say, there's times when it's very easy to think, oh, well, that's just the orchestra members have to, you know, embrace that. And they do, but our audiences have to embrace it as well. Yes. And so uh, there are, there's a lot of, I would say, uh, strong opinions from, from uh, orchestra or audience members, I should say, are equally strong opinions in, in orchestras as well. Um, and so th that, that balance has to, 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 um, uh, be thought of when, when making changes to, to how we, how we structure the programs and how we, we plan. We're going to have to do so. I mean, the subscription model is getting more and more challenging over the years and our, you know, three or this year, four concerts film series um, is, uh, is successful perhaps because it's only that many, you know, three, three night commitment for people, sure. but um, we're the days of the, you know, 10 or more concert subscription packages. There's people are still buying them. We're thankful that they're buying them, but I'm not so sure that the, as I called it, the uh, iPod shuffle generation yeah. is going to be uh, coming to those concerts in that way. And so um, maybe, maybe this, this situation we face right now will, will change that as well. I mean, maybe people will think about making a commitment to an institution like the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in a different way after, sure. after coming through this, you know, that might be possibly wishful thinking, but I think there's some evidence to say that people will want to find ways to um, uh, 
uh, come together and and uh, and this is a perfect opportunity for that. And like we said before, that that experience of hearing that orchestra in that hall, or you know, really any orchestra in any in any hall, but uh, this one in particular, from from my perspective, mm-hmm. is uh, is something that that more and more people need to experience. And um, I hope that that continues for a long time to come. I think it will. Well, I know it will. We just, it, 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 what capacity, I guess, is the big question mark, not only now, given what's going on in the world, but just in general, it, that, that's the big question always. And I right. think that if you can try and be a step or two or three ahead, ahead of um, maybe just two or three things, it's easier to answer that question. But, uh, well, look, you've been so generous with your time. Um, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on Film Music Focus uh, everybody, Mr. Jim Fahey, and um, thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you about all things. It was really a pleasure as well. And you know, we're we're far apart, but I, you know, it's. Uh, I hope we'll again soon see you soon at, at the symphony uh, at Chicago Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again. Okay. In, until then. Brought to you by Santa Concerts. 